I'm April. And I'm Steph. And you're listening to The Thirst. You can find us online, Twitter, we're at The Thirst, Facebook.com forward slash The Thirst Pod. We're on Instagram at The Thirst Pod. We're on SoundCloud.com forward slash The Thirst Pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for The Thirst. And we're also on Spotify and a number of other pod type apps. If you want to send us an email, it's The Thirst Pod at gmail.com. And we've also got a blog, which is The Thirst Pod at oh no thirstpod.wordpress.com um, on the email front we might do a mailbag soon yes I think we were thinking of maybe doing that for our next for our next episode for the next episode so we if you could send us some <laughs> if you could send us some questions thoughts feelings emotions across social media and also via email that would be very useful nothing too scathing nothing too scathing or probing this is episode I don't mind probing <laughs> well this is episode 39 it is Got any thoughts? Yeah, there's loads of 39 I had a good time with this. Did you? For a change. Oh, I had like an average time. Well, I say Um, good time. I haven't bothered for the last two episodes. Oh, well, there you go then, yeah. Uh, Full Mostly, 39 is a song by The Cure. Oh, Blood Flowers. Good, yeah, fine. Um, Apparently, there's also a song by Queen, which is not something that I really know, but it is. It's on a night of the opera. Sure. 39 Steps, filmed by Alfred Hitchcock. Yep. Glorious 39. Yep. Film starring Eddie Redmayne. Not seen it. Never seen you? that, no. no. Case 39, a horror film starring Renee Zellweger. Oh, didn't know that was a thing. Just not worth writing home about. Um, I've got Pier 39 What's in San that? Francisco. Oh, yeah. Lovely. Geographical location. And then I also discovered that there are a number of my favourite people that are 39. Yes, well, I thought this might be a like an April yeah. special. So people who aren't necessarily my favourite, but who are interested. Oh, you're I building suppose. up. Okay. Uh, Channing Tatum. Benji yeah. Madden, Jason Momoa. Is Benji Madden 39? I apparently. should know that. Which also then means that Joel Madden well, is yes, 39. Because they are in fact twins. But he wasn't listed, so that's weird. Oh, have they just forgotten <laughs> him? Benji's a, it's because Benji's mo- married to the more famous person. That's what happened there. That's true. Uh, oh, wow. I've really let my good Charlotte knowledge drop. Uh, Luke Evans is apparently 39. I thought Luke he was Evans. older. I Luke thought he was about 46. M- looks much older. Pete Wentz, 39. Is he? Do you yeah. know what? I just got Pete Wentz and Pete. Davidson? Yeah, muddled up. I was wow. like, Pete Davidson is not 39. Pete Davidson's like 12. Pete Wentz is 39. Um, and then Chris Pine, and then there's a nice four here, which is Jason Schwartzman, Michelle Williams, Ryan Gosling, and Jake Gyllenhaal, all turned 40 this year, so Lovely. they're currently 39. Jake's, That's nice. Jake's almost in that sweet 40s yep. spot. Um, one of my favourite things, whilst looking at these celebrity things, is... You probably use the same website as me, which is just like a big long list <laughs> yeah. and pictures of pictures. celebrities. And you have to try and identify them. Yeah, except it's all celebrity faces. And then where Ryan Gosling was, it was a picture of a waxwork of <laughs> Ryan Gosling. I was like, that's not even Ryan Gosling's face. That's just a terrible waxwork impression of him. And I don't know why they did it. Well, if you spend enough time on the internet at the moment, you'll know that everyone's always lamenting where Ryan Gosling's gone. So, cause where has just, he gone? He's probably just know. at home looking after his kids because he's been normal. Dad been norms with Eva Mendez his wife anyway um that's 39 good good for us. good great good. 40 will be fun moving on swiftly moving yeah on swiftly. oh there'll be loads of stuff for 40 um some news yes um this isn't really of well I suppose it's a big deal but not I really. think it is I just thought it was funny in many so I think forms. not on our last episode but the previous one to that so they're not the listy one the one before that we did talk about the My Chemical Romance reunion how they'd announced these reunion shows and then the reunion shows happened before Christmas and these were American this was yeah. like LA wasn't it yep yeah, so they played a show in LA lots of people I follow on the internet went because apparently 
all of the critics and writers that I happen to follow across Twitter and are all like media, all older, like older MCR stands. Yeah, basically like us Brilliant. were around the first time. Apart from like Halsey, who went and had a nice time. That was as cute. if Halsey went. That's pretty they cute. Yeah. I think we're quite quite pro Halsey now, aren't we? Yeah, big fan. Um, apart from the weird tweet that she did the other day, which is not really good. really unfortunate. She didn't know where the pitchfork uh, offices were. Yeah, spend some time looking at that, friends. That's weird, isn't it? This anyway, is why I'm not fa- well. It isn't why I'm not famous. But if I was famous, this is why I'd have to. Ban you wouldn't have social media. Would you, you would terrible idea. Anyway, MCR did these shows before Christmas in LA, all very successful. Everyone had a nice time. And five then, stars all round. Five apparently. stars around apparently, and then it was teased that they might do something in Europe and UK. I think they did like a, a social media post that had like a yeah, flag. yeah, yeah. They'd done dates in like or announced dates in like Australia, Japan, and New Zealand, which yeah. actually I think are the places that usually get dates last. So yeah, quite which nice is interesting. Them. And then so it was announced that they would be playing Milton Keynes. So Milton Keynes, for anyone who doesn't live in England, is a construct. It is. I mean, all places are a construct. But this is truly just a weird area which is predominantly based around roundabouts. It is, isn't it? So there's about 60,000 roundabouts, maybe. So Milton Keynes isn't that far from where you grew up, is it? No, and it's such a weird anomaly. So everywhere else is like, you know streets of houses and yeah you know there's a high street somewhere and blah 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 milton Keynes is like standalone housing estates linked by main roads and roundabouts with some factories in between and a giant ikea it's such a you can't walk around it no it's weird isn't it it was created especially as just they just decided to build a town like in the, the 50s or 60s or yeah it's just like a fairly new town that wasn't thought out properly and is probably the most boring place on earth. So it's funny that my chemical romance are paying. So boring and also really hard to get to. Yeah. This isn't like Maine. Like, I mean, you can obviously get there from London, but it's not an easy place to get no, to. No, so that's what I found was quite funny. So it was announced, it is Milton Keynes Bowl, isn't it? So yes, a big I mean, you couldn't air. think of anywhere lamer to play a show, to be honest. A lot of festivals happen there, but it's an open air show. Like, which is another thing that no one wants to do is go to a reunion show which is like stadium size and open yeah so i think when we saw that they were playing shows again we did talk about like what would happen if they announced a uk show and whether we'd want to go or not and so today is saturday and tickets went on sale yesterday and the first show on the 20th of june sold out very quickly and then they announced are they doing another one yeah they announced the next day of the 21st and i um was a very very big my chemical romance fan and i did have the opportunity to see them a few times the first time mm-hmm. around so okay. when i saw that it was outdoors i don't really like outdoor oh shows God. particularly i'd be hard pushed to see m- many things outdoors and it was also 82 pounds 50 yeah i mean my questions were gonna be i think it'll be a big festival i think they'll have lots of other bands playing yeah it'll probably start at like midday won't yeah. it? it'll be like the hyde park summer yeah yeah show series but in a shit place like milton Keynes that no one can get to my questions were is a reunion show warranted when you only split up in 2013, but apparently have been working together since 2017? So it wasn't really a split up, was it? No, it's interesting. And People I like just not hanging out for a couple of years. You just need a break. That's yeah, what you need. I think that I forgot that it was actually quite recent that they'd split as well. In my head, I thought it was longer ago, but then when I looked at the dates, it wasn't that long ago. But I, I hope that lots of people who wanted tickets got tickets. I didn't even bother trying. No, I mean, would you pay minimum £75 to stand or a minimum of £85 to sit outside at MK Stadium 
risking that they will probably play new material from the last record that no one cares about. Mm, well, I don't mind that record, but I also don't like outdoor shows particularly. I wouldn't this. pay like a hundred and the LA show was like hundred and seventy two dollars. Yeah, but I think it was indoors, wasn't That's, it? I'm not paying hundred and seventy two dollars. No, that. but at least you have a roof over your head, so if it rains, you're dry. And like, it always rains in England, so it's the, risky business. It is absolutely hilarious, and also the number of London-based people who were just absolutely livid that they'd have to leave the capital to go to this was just so funny yeah as two people who live in, in a region that have to travel to do anything any in, to london most every of the time and um, it was quite funny that everyone was getting a bit stroppy about the, the irony of having mm. to go anywhere so although to be fair milton Keynes is a Mm. hellhole I wouldn't want to go there but I mean yeah so we won't be reviewing it because we won't be there maybe we could find someone in the field that would do it for us field reporter field reporter amazing let's get that it's probably going to have like the most amazing support acts now and we'll be livid however I'm not sitting outside no that's I I draw the line at rain right on to more exciting things that have happened in fairly recent news so the SAG Awards the Screen Actors Guild Awards were last weekend uh, and they are something that we'll touch on again later this episode but everyone was mostly freaking out at pictures of Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston talking so they both won at the SAG Awards this year Brad for Best Supporting Actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Jen for Best Actress for The Morning Show aka a TV show that I'm never going to watch the internet exploded when they were photographed speaking to one another afterwards it's described as a tender moment not sure about that but essentially i think the fil- the photo that made everyone explode is the one after they've been talking and jennifer's like turning to leave still got her hand on brad pitt and he's like clamped onto her wrist and looking after her like he has is trying to stop her from leaving pretty big deal because we haven't seen them together for many a year interacting like that a very big deal i think everyone's heads just exploded really didn't they everyone's been waiting for this so um we are going to be talking more at length like you say about awards season so i do feel like recently it's been a case of waking up every morning and like going on the internet and kind of like checking in with what had happened the previous night in the states award ceremony wise and whatnot and i did the morning after the sags happened i remember waking up and checking my phone and going on twitter and instagram and then just immediately seeing these and then having to send them to you and everyone else I would probably say the only thing of note that has happened thus far in awards season. Yeah, so and it just was a lot. And we've obviously talked at length about our new... Well, not new, is it? Our revised It's a real renaissance. Brad Pitt renaissance. renaissance of Daddy Braddy Pitt. Of Daddy Braddy Pitt. And, Daddy Pitt. you know, I feel like since Jennifer Aniston's divorce from Justin Theroux, there's been this whole, you know... She's dated some really... Dated, been married to some extremely attractive she men. She has, hasn't well she? Done, Jen. Jen's got good taste. So there's been this sort of renewed interest in like, oh, have they, are they talking? Will they be at the same things together? And I have listened to and read a lot of things about yeah. this entire scenario, which a lead me to believe that it was it's probably been managed. Really oh yeah, well. it's going to definitely. The thing is, those it's all staged. Those pictures are so like. They seem quite staged. They're too good. And him, like, watching Jennifer Aniston's um, Her speech. speech when she won the award, like, backstage, and there's 5,000 people recording him, is obviously, like, managed to an extent. And also, this isn't, like, the first time... This isn't a reunion as in, like, they haven't seen, not seen each, each other. other like, yeah. They call each other quote unquote friends, whether yeah. that's necessarily true. But like Brad attended her birthday party, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they they're obviously still in contact. This just happens to be the first time that we have seen them. Absolutely, in a photo together. It's just very like 
I don't know, suddenly front and centre, isn't it? And and during awards season, I feel like there's always needs to be some kind of narrative of something that you have to kind of cling on this to. Is this to is it. Yeah. like get over the monotony of, of the ceremony. Cer- yeah, just the ceremony and the process. But um, I think my favourite thing about this is that poor Jennifer Aniston has always had this narrative around her of like, can't keep a man, poor Jenny, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But those photos totally put a spin on that and just... I mean, what do you think is happening in the hand clasp picture? It looks like he's got some sort of vice-like grip on her and really wants her to stay and talk to him. So it's just a complete 180 of this really patronising narrative of, like, poor Jennifer Aniston's probably really depressed because she lost Brad Pitt. So my entire reading of that situation in that in that picture in particular is that she, like, absolutely has the upper hand. She's so not bothered. She's just not. She's, like, saying to him, you know, like, oh, yeah, fine, I'll get to you in a yeah, second. Like, Let she's got go She's this. got stuff to do. She's got He's places like, to go. Hang on, I'm, I'm just having a yeah. I've got just a couple of minutes of chatting. Like total 180. It's a complete 180, and it's also just such an interesting contrast to this entire the whole like poor Jen narrative. You know, I often think about the way that at that time that whole like team Jen, team mm-hmm. Angie stuff was so such much. so such an such a big thing, cultural thing that we all participated in, especially I think for our generation. And I do think that like now when I think back about that and I've read a few things that kind of attest this, is that it's such an example of like very much internalised misogyny. Yeah. And that absolutely. like as a woman you felt like you had to pick a side and that one of them was the bad guy and one of them was the good guy. And Brad yeah. Pitt like largely came out of it. He that came out of it completely unscathed, didn't he? Like he was pretty in, in subsequent sort of interviews and stuff he's not been particularly great with some of his wording and he's spoken about how he was quite bored in his relationship with Jennifer Aniston which isn't very nice and essentially makes it sound like he dropped her because something more interesting came along and she's handled all of that with quite good grace absolutely and, and yeah. to have to do all of that in such a public forum as well and i do think this is the biggest couple in hollywood right and she, you know this entire like poor jen narrative and like, oh she didn't want to have kids so brad pitt moved on blah 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 like you know it's interesting now when you think about how that sort of dogged her career mm-hmm. and now brad pitt and angelina jolie have split up it's almost this sort of angry ex-wife sort of thing there's a total twisted. yeah like whether you know i don't really know whether any of that is true or not per se um but there's definitely this narrative around angelina as like the one that didn't want brad to leave and she's still refusing to get divorced because she's hoping he'll come back and he was just sick of being treated like shit and i mean classically it is the the man getting the upper hand as he comes out of a relationship and i'm saying that as someone who does really like brad pitt and thinks he's like probably a very nice person absolutely and i think it's important to sort of like be critical about the ones you love i mean i did see a very interesting tweet online um in the aftermath of the sag actually which um and i think it was rachel syme mm. who said about how the reason that we're all so obsessed with brad and jen is yeah. because it's this like narrative or this idea of like no door ever being closed yeah so it's this sort of like thing that we has happened in the past that we kind of think we've forgotten about and think that we're over but actually we always want like the opportunity to maybe pop back and revisit things yeah. and this is entirely what i think this whole like our entire like just cultural yeah. obsession yeah. with brad and jen as being this thing and every because every single time like you know Jennifer Aniston post Brad Pitt anytime she was in a relationship and it wasn't panning out well yeah like in the aftermath of Justin through divorce it was like oh well, so parallels her, with Brad Pitt yeah will right? her and Brad get back together now and it's just like no like let her be her it's, own person it's really funny that some people's reactions to this photo is like does this mean they're getting back together yeah, it's like no. what because they stood in a room together they're I don't definitely think so not going to. she is clearly not interested I imagine he's not either given the stuff in the past that he's said but um just let her live just let 
let her live. Just let her have, you know... Well, she's having a really lovely moment because she's back on stage. She's she winning is. an award, she which is, is yeah. really lovely. He's done very well for himself and is... I always get the vibe that Brad is like, has been quite a simple guy in the past. Mm-hmm. Probably quite boring, actually. Just yeah. really handsome. But now he's reinvented reinvented himself as like quite a cultured, funny person. Yeah. His SAG Award speech was... He's, really funny. He's really, really upping his game. We'll come. Um, we'll come more onto like award ceremonies in a bit. But like, yeah. I feel like every speech that he has to keep so, giving yeah. is getting better and better. So I feel like by the time the Academy Awards roll around, it's going to be the most like, amazing speech it's we've be ever heard. The most amazing speech. But ever. he's clearly not written. But still, oh yeah, no, he's got staff doing that for him, hasn't he? So. And actually, in that speech, he even made a quip about his marriage to Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. The whole like, uh, uh, you know, Cliff Booth was a difficult part to to play. Because because it was about a guy who gets high, takes his shirt off and doesn't get on with his wife. Like, And again, and the camera goes straight to yeah. her. Like, God, what an exhausting position to be in. I just feel like it must be so... Like, obviously, and the thing is that she 100% walked into that room knowing that if he won an award or was on stage, the camera is going to be on her. Yeah. She must have known... Like, she must always know that. They like, they always, always know. know. They must have yeah. to anticipate it every time they go outside. So, How incredibly fucking boring it's really tedious but I mean I'm really glad that we got to spend um, some time with these pictures it's never going to happen again is it because they're probably not going to be in the same room again I don't think it will be as managed this way so we've had one little taste and we'll just have to keep I'll just take it I'll take the scratch keep that in our hearts just want to thank people for entering our Hustlers giveaway, which is our first ever competition, which is very exciting. Uh, thank you to Mikey for arranging that. We offered two Hustlers Blu-rays out on social media to people on Twitter and Instagram. We got lots of responses, lots of JLo gifts, which was very lovely. That was a nice thing to have to go through, wasn't that it? That was a nice thing for our week. It really was. Um, so, yeah, we really appreciated people listening and following the podcast. And uh, we picked our winners. So congratulations. Congratulations to Nimi and Sam. Your Blu-rays will be on the way soon. And just watch Hustlers, really. Really great movie. One of our favourites of last year. It was really good. And it's been uh, very much overlooked by, I don't know, critics. Not, not cr- Sorry, not critics. The award ceremony. The award ceremony, which is, a, yeah, a monster unto itself. But a uh, great film. Definitely watch it. Out on Blu-ray and DVD this week. On to Timmy Time, which needs its own jingle. We do need to do a jingle. Timmy Time. There you go. What, oh, it would need to be like a rap music. I'm, I was literally about to do it, but I'm not Please doing it. Don't we could it. just play a segment of his Nicki Minaj no. Uh, rendition. No, uh, no, because I never want to revisit that because just thinking about it makes me feel unwell. Maybe it's we vile, should isn't just. It? It's disgusting. Maybe <laughs> it. it should be. Are there any? Oh, I was going to say you could put a video in of him dancing to Kid Cudi, but that wasn't really, wouldn't really work on a podcast. We just have some Kid Cudi, some maths rapping. We'll make up a nut, well, our own rap about maths and about statistics, and we can put that on here. Sure. We've just talked about this flipping. Uh, jingle that doesn't exist for too long someone send us a jingle quick timmy time mainly i think we need to talk about what happened on the 8th of january at the 2020 national board of review gala red carpet timmy was there he was wearing a fan shirt that was was. lovely uh he was wearing a stella mccartney cream suit he looked lovely that was lovely he was also wearing a hairy lip (laughs) Okay, so full disclosure, I've just wiped this from my brain because I refuse to acknowledge that April, it happened. I hate it. It's so I disgusting. It so much. It was the worst thing to wake up to. It was so horrible and people were asking me about it at work and I'd spent all day really hoping that no one would bring it up. And then <laughs> you, so, sorry, Peggy you, was like, Steph, what do you think of it? You spent your entire day hoping that, that no one would ask you, known Timothy Chalamet <sighs> correspondent, 
what you thought about Timothy Chalamet's new facial hair. Like, you thought you, that was going to be a thing you'd be able to get away with. It's truly just... It's like a really bad PR moment where it's like, I hope no one talks to me about it because I don't want to have to release a statement because it's just so embarrassing. It's a real blunder. I mean, it disappeared very quickly, so he obviously read the room. And- Gone the next day. <laughs> Gone the next day, April. He had a little lurk on Twitter and was like, it was just, shit, you know this... When you, uh, you know when you're young and you have to try things out? So you the might fact try that you different. Can count the hairs. It's just so. <laughs> Some people try silly. different clothes, different shoes. He thought he'd go for a little tash and goatee, and then it became apparent that no one was into it. No, there's like six hairs on his face, and it just makes me really sad to even think about. That was the biggest fashion faux pas of 2020. We're only a few weeks in. April's face is so bad. I thought I could forgive him for anything, but I just can't. I'm so glad he got rid of it really quickly. I'm so, so glad because it's just unspeakably awful. Well, I was initially confused and thought maybe it was for a role or something, but no. No one would require him to do that. No. No one would ask him to do that. No one asked him to do it. His girlfriend didn't ask him to do it. Also, I think if they did require him to have facial hair, they'd probably just like put a false... Put a beard on him. Put a false beard on him. Like a merkin (laughs) on his face. And that would look... I know. Bless his... He's just keep your, you know, you're youthful. You look young. Just accept it. It's fine. There's plenty of time to grow a beard when you're older. I will say that a thing that is worth exploring where Timmy is concerned is his speech that he gave when he gave, um, when he talked about... I knew so much you'd love that. I sent April this speech. When he was talking about the Safties and Uncut Gems and his little speech about it just gave me so much joy in my heart. The only person I know who's a bigger Safty stan than you and Hunter Harris... (laughs) Is Timmy. Yeah, really is. Um, it's a good one. Seek it out. He, he, all his own words. Don't, yeah. Sorry, I thought you meant... I went back to the moustache <laughs> picture then and I was like, don't seek it out. No, the speech is great. You can tell it's his words because there's lots of swearing in it. He does he's love a big a boy and he loves to swear. He's like, I'm a grown-up. I'm going to do a swear on Some stage. F-bombs because I'm pretty cool. Want to be in the next Safety movie. Um, <sighs> so that was pretty good. Wouldn't That's going to happen, 100%. I really hope he does. And maybe he'll be in it with Zendaya. That's what I'd like to think Ooh, would happen. That would because be Because they've good. been hanging out. At Bed Bath & Beyond. Yes, which I thought maybe would be something quite fancy, but is in fact like the Dunnell Mill of... Yes, uh, you know in Broad City, yeah. Abby's obsessed with Bed Bath & Beyond. Just, why are they there? They could buy... Towels? They're both buying towels A at the same time. The toothbrushes? Do you think, think they were both Soap there suspense, buying so. flannels? Yep. What colour flannels would... Mm, I think dark coloured ones. Do you think so? Yeah. I think Zendaya might go for a hot pink though. Hmm, okay. Flannel. Purple. Do they do purple flannels? They probably do, don't they? I don't know. I feel they do. I feel like you could probably get everything at Bed Bath & Beyond. This isn't an endorsement. I've never been there. No, no idea. But I'm sure you can get some bargains there. Um, someone who won't go to Bed Bath & Beyond with is Florence Pugh, because apparently they've unfollowed each other on Instagram. This is weird, isn't it? Do you, So tell me your theory on this. I think that... Go on. Be honest. Uh, talking about misogynistic narratives, I've decided that Florence Pugh developed feelings for Timmy over the course of filming and it's not that they've fallen out but um maybe it just got a bit awkward or something and they had a conversation it wasn't going to pan out the way they wanted it to so maybe she like unfollowed him first because she's like I don't want to be checking your Instagram all the time and being a bit you know I've got to block myself stop myself from stalking you which is a thing that we all go through and do he's you, probably just handled it really badly because he's male do you think that Timmy kept sliding into her DMs and Zach Braff gross was like actually i don't like this can you not be his friend who's this dork who keeps sending you emojis also my theory my other theory is that they maybe have done a little bang 
They and might it, have done a little it, bang, and it, like a single bang, and it's just bang not, singular, and it's get it's awkward. Yeah, and so she's they're annoyed. like because it it would make sense if they are you know maybe unfollowed each other some way down the line past Little Women, but they're still in the thick of it. So it's I'm odd, really surprised that they've unfollowed each other. It makes Intriguing. me very sad, and I like to think it's not because they hate each other. It's just that something has happened, maybe a wee bangy. In which it's just things are a bit awkward now. Yeah, I think it probably is that. So, um, just an, another Timmy thing is that he was at the went to see the New York Knicks and yeah. was sat next to Ben Stiller. Okay, my take on this. Go on. Is what's your thing? Ben Stiller? Yeah. is a worse Adam Sandler. Like I really like Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems, so that has helped. I've got no time for Ben Stiller. Come on now. Why do you hate everyone I love in comedy? Why do you like Ben Stiller? Because Ben Stiller is so good. He's not. My my theory with this here is that the connection is Ben Stiller, very friendly with Noah Baumbach, has been in a couple of three, three Baumbach films. Right. Timmy, besties with Greta. Besties. He's got to be besties with an older married so couple. So I bet they so. talked about that length. I can't believe That's how they ben met. Stiller. Yeah, you're right. I just think he's even worse. Do you not enjoy any Ben Stiller content? Can't think of any. Wow. Okay. Tell me good Ben Stiller content. Uh, well, well, the three films he's in with Greenberg is not... Well, Greenberg is fine. Actually, um, Greenberg is fine. Have you seen While We're Young? No. Oh, you should watch it. Adam but it's Driver. got Ben Stiller in it. But it's got Adam Driver in it. Do you like Adam and Driver? And Amanda Seyfried and Naomi Watts. But it's got Ben... Is he a lead in it? Yeah. <laughs> Do I have to see a lot of him in it? Okay. Do this you know is... what shit? Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, guys, this is the last episode of our podcast, so... Um, I enjoy these pictures of them together. His hair looks very nice and he's very clean shaven. Beautiful hair. The only person who loves Timmy's hair more than me is Timmy, so... He does love his hair, doesn't he? loves he? his hair, and rightfully so. On to things that we've been consuming recently while April tries to get over my Ben Stiller comment. I just don't get it. Am I, I saying it. it just to troll you? Who knows? I think you are. Who knows? You'll never know. You'll never know. Inside my brain. So, first up, television. We've both started watching the Outsider. We have. A thing that I knew I was going to watch. Wasn't yeah. sure if you would, so I'm glad you're on the initial bandwagon with me, at least. Can I be very transparent with you? Yes. Um, I had nothing else to watch. Yeah. And also it's got Ben Mendelsohn in it. I figured you might try it for the Ben Mendelsohn yeah. angle. Have we discussed this before, how much you fancy Ben Mendelsohn? No, we haven't on a okay. public forum. April fancies Ben Mendelsohn. Aggressively. It's a, yeah. it's a real problem. Yeah. I can't put my finger on why. He's quite handsome, though. I don't understand it. I had I had many conversations with people this week about it at work. Did you? Um, yeah, because... You just broadcast in this everywhere. I am. It's a bit weird. I probably shouldn't. I like it when he smokes. Oh, no, that's fair, but that's just... Yeah, that's... Also, I've got a real thing about his voice because it's like this real low level, especially when he does an American accent. He's not American. He's Australian. He is. He does, has this like weird low level tone to his voice. And also, we were talking about the fact that he, he does have a speech impediment. Yes, he does. But no one ever picks up on, which I think is a really good thing, obviously, because you shouldn't draw attention to... You shouldn't like draw that. attention to people's speech No, but it's just, it's, his voice is really satisfying. Anyway, I've monologued It now. is lovely. Talk I think he's, before we talk about it, I think he's sort of in the same pool of actors that I find hot for some reason, not really sure why, like Tim Roth. Oh, yeah, and like Christoph Waltz. Yes. 
Yeah. Older actor, you can't... I did ask people on the internet why he's so attractive and no one responded. Oh, apparently we're alone in this Apart from going, are you watching The Outsider? I mean, clearly that's the thing that's made me think about it currently. This is historic, guys. This has been an ongoing thing. Wait for everyone to get really into him and then you'll be angry that you were the OG. um, I did re-watch Animal Kingdom recently. Did you? Well, I say recently, before Christmas, and I realised that I just fancy him in all forms, even when he's like a horrible bastard. Anyway. Well, he's mostly a horrible bastard yeah. and things. A bit like Tim Roth. Oh. Tim Roth is good, isn't he? Hot. Yes. Really sad that he wasn't in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Imagine having the power to uh, cut out Tim Roth. Anyway, The Outsider is an American drama miniseries based on the novel of the same name by Stephen King. Premiered on HBO on the 12th of Jan. Funny enough, it was commissioned like one month after the book was released. So, so I don't think I realised how recent the book was. And it was only when I asked you, like, oh, have you read it? And you were like, no, because it's very new. Yeah, it came out 2018 and a month later, uh, this was in the works. So um, clearly, we're still at the height of the key Stephen King thing, whatever it is, renaissance. King Naissance. King Naissance. King Assance, that's the King one. Assance. King Nation. That's where we are still. Hasn't crashed down yet, but is due to, at some point, Richard Price was hired to adapt the Stephen King novel. Ben Mendelsohn stars, and he also serves as a producer. Jason Bateman executive produces and also stars in the series too. Um, so Ben Mendelsohn is a detective, Ralph Anderson. The show also stars Bill Camp, Jeremy Bob, Julianne Nicholson, Paddy Considine, Jason Bateman, Cynthia Erivo and others. So to give a really quick plot summary, we've only had three episodes of the show so far. The Outsider begins with a seemingly straightforward investigation into the gruesome murder of a young boy. Terry Maitland, a suburban parent, is accused of the grisly murder and the case is given to Detective Ralph Anderson. But when an insidious supernatural force edges its way into the case, it leads Ralph and an unorthodox investigator to question everything they believe in. Thanks, Wiki, for that. That's very succinct. Um, yes. Tell me your thoughts because I'm, I mean, I'm a Stephen King fan and I will always have thoughts, but what are yours so far? So as as the aforementioned main reason behind watching this was that I had no other television to watch and also like Ben Mendelssohn, I don't think my expectations were so as the bar yours. was low. Well, no, not that the bar was low, just in that I didn't really know much about it. And initially, because it's HBO and I'd seen the trailer, I thought like, oh, it has a bit of a true detective-y Yeah, vibe. And that's definitely what I thought throughout, especially the first two episodes. Oh, yeah, so much. I do think with the third episode, it's sort of turned in a way where I'm a little bit apprehensive mm-hmm. I think because it's gone from being so the first episode in particular is actually quite grisly with yes. it's like which is a very true detective thing as well yeah it has that like true detective aesthetic of mm-hmm. not really shying away from the fact that it's about a child assault and murder um, it has that kind of grainy like blue saturated mm-hmm. dark kind of tone that does remind me of, of true detective and also I think a lot of of crime procedural yes. dramas yeah so that's what my immediate takeaway from it was I, ha- I have been enjoying it i think my worry going forward is that it because it has twisted from this kind of like a child has been murdered we need to find out who murdered him there's this one suspect but now this other thing has happened and it's a bit it's it's venturing into the supernatural mm-hmm. in a way that i personally i'm not sure how i'm going to get on with going forward and it's not because i'm not into things that are supernatural because obviously there are many tv shows and films and everything that are along that line that i do really really enjoy but i think because i've got like a real lack of context for stephen king 
writing and a lot of like obviously we did our Stephen King episode and I talked about the films that I particularly enjoyed but mm-hmm. I think the ones I tend to have enjoyed and engage with aren't necessarily the overtly supernatural yeah, ones yeah, yeah. and I think yeah. I I don't know I'm intrigued I'm, yeah. I'm and I do think it's got some really really good performances obviously I, I think Ben Mendelsohn's very very good in mm-hmm. it um in the third episode Cynthia Erivo's turned up mm-hmm. and I'm very intrigued by her character Holly so yeah. I think I will stick with it but I don't know. How, so how have you... Because I, I think the thing that I... When I was watching it, I was very much... Because I just don't know anything. Mm-hmm. I remember asking you, and, and then you again reiterated that you'd not read the book. So you mm-hmm. also had a lack of context for the storyline itself as in going yeah. forward to where it was going. So yeah. I think that's why it's interesting, really, because most of the time when we, we do engage with Stephen King content, you have got background. You've mm-hmm. either read it you or you have an awareness of it. So, for example, like when we saw It, yeah. especially the first film, mm-hmm. I knew the story of it based on the previous incarnation mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. film but i don't i've never read the book i don't mm-hmm. know all the nuances of all of that and stuff so you know our responses to it are often so different which mm. i think is, is interesting so for this it it feels a little bit more like a level playing field i think but... it is i definitely think it is like um I mean, Stephen King adaptations, there's been some good film ones. There's not very many, if any, really, um, arguably, good television adaptations. Mr. Mercedes, for me, was one that was definitely one of the stronger adaptations. So Mr. Mercedes, the Bill Hodges trilogy of books, is fairly recent as well. Stephen King's always liked playing with genre, um, and he has had books in the past that have been you know, part something, part supernatural kind of wave between the two. Mr. Mercedes was the first one for me where I really saw him do like a crime. The first book feels like a crime, detective crime, serial killer sort of procedural story. And then in the latter part of the second book, he started introducing these supernatural elements, which I wasn't as keen on. Mm -hmm. I really like supernatural storylines, but actually I was just quite enjoying this quite clever procedural. And with Mr. Mercedes, the TV show, I loved season one, which again is pretty much a straight catching a serial killer drama. Really, really great. And then the second season, they're now having to start going into the supernatural element and I'm losing interest. So I haven't caught up. We're on season three now and I haven't caught up. Oh, interesting. It's just a hard, it's a hard thing to do. I think because I actually, I really enjoy detective stories and on television they're extremely gripping I don't really need the supernatural element so I feel very similar to you in that I really I feel in these early episodes this is basically what I wanted the latest season of True Detective to be like it's very similar to kind of the first season of True Detective opening was something quite grisly. And, you know, I like this idea of the, the sort of this conundrum of they think this guy has, you know, he's been accused of murder and it's supposed to be an open and shut case, but then they find he was in two places at once. So there's quite a strong mystery there. I really like that. It feels very True Detective. So I think it's started really strongly. But I think, yeah, the supernatural element is going to be a hard thing to handle. I said to you when we first started watching because I haven't read the book yet, I don't know whether it does start leading into something more supernatural. I have a feeling it might, based off Mr. Mercedes, and it is basically doing the same thing. So I know the people from people who have read The Outsider they pretty they did like it quite a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping it's handled quite well in the book and that whatever weird like whatever kind of weird thing is happening, I guess I don't want to draw too many comparisons to True Detective, but you know the way that True Detective was sort of surreal occult there is something weird going on but it's never outwardly supernatural like i'm sort of almost hoping that will be the same here although i'm not 
massively hopeful (laughs) no i mean the thing with true detective especially in that first season and was the way that that kind of like supernatural occult kind of stuff was almost used as a bit of psych Mm -hmm. out because you get the way that rusty really engages with Mm -hmm. all of that because Mm -hmm. it's sort of his interest and he he buys into Mm -hmm. it but then just leading you down that path yeah in the end actually it's something that's completely Mm -hmm. the opposite and i suppose the same is for the third season i guess in a little bit there's that Mm -hmm. kind of satanic panic vibe there is um i think for me i would really like it to be a straight crime procedure but my worry now is that it's actually just going to be supernaturally in a way that i i personally will find tricky to engage with i mm. think that i have found very interesting in some of the um podcasts and discussions that i've listened to which, which have mentioned the show have said actually how it's it feels like a very initially very good stephen king adaptation yeah, in does. a way that previous sort of films tv haven't oh yeah and whether actually it's a sign that Stephen King has kind of finally worked out how to write a book that could easily be mm-hmm. adapted mm-hmm. into a his film stuff's really or TV. not easy to adapt. No, and it's almost like because it is such a recent book mm-hmm. of his, it's almost like when he was writing it, it was purposefully kind yeah, of thinking yeah, yeah. about the yeah, way that's that it could be transferred. Point. And it was just something that came up on I think it was an episode of The Watch I was listening to this week and I was like, Oh that's interesting actually that this far into his career mm. he's actually realised the benefit of kind of having a story that's like not perhaps too overly complicated yeah. or wouldn't or transfer to, to character i don't know in too internalized yeah in and terms i think of characters i think perspective you know i'm not I, i'm not a real fiction writer so i think i i don't necessarily understand the mechanics of it but i imagine that there's such a contrast between the way that you would write you know write with a vision of how it would be on screen versus mm, just writing yeah thi- yeah in the context absolutely of the book. so it's, it's interesting to maybe think about the way that because the turnaround time here in particular mm-hmm. it was obviously optional so close so so you imagine they might have been having those discussions yeah. already yeah absolutely uh, I think I agree with you that Ben Mendelssohn is very good, obviously, and is a hook. And um, Arivo as Holly Gibney. Holly Gibney, um, it's worth noting, is a character, one of the main characters from the Bill Hodges trilogy. Mm-hmm. So there is Stephen King universe crossover there, which made me also think when I discovered that, oh, 100% it's going to yeah. have supernatural elements then, because the other books do. She's going to be the runaway star of this, I think. She's already been um, amazing, and we've only seen her in one episode. So good. It's a. I think Holly's a really interesting character. She's this. She's neurodiverse. She's a private eye. So there's you know a lot of dynamics between the way she works and the way other people work mm-hmm. with her, and the way she sees the world, and that she almost has a bit of an uncanny ability to sort of sense and understand mm-hmm. things. In the books, she's white. In Mister Mercedes, she's white. In the TV show, Mr. Mercedes, she was white as well. So um, oh, interesting. Okay. I, I wonder if, I mean, firstly, it's a really rare opportunity to see a detective heroine as a woman of colour, which mm-hmm. is great. And also the idea of her kind of as an outs like the outsider, mm-hmm. that she's an outsider herself yeah. because she's yeah neurodiverse and she's also a woman of colour. So she kind of doesn't sit within the mould of the mm-hmm. other detectives, which I think could be really interesting. So I'm really happy that she's playing this role and playing it so well so that'd be great i think they've also got to not fall into the trap of posing too many questions and then you've got one episode left and they can't squeeze in all the answers which is another classic that we've had yeah that's the thing i was thinking about actually because those episodes have felt quite jam-packed in things that are happening like i did so they they did um first two episodes at once and then there's the third episode so it's only went on for two weeks Mm. um and i think i did the first I did one and a half back to back and then I finished the second half of it and it just felt like they were quite intense. There's so many threads. Yeah. 
And obviously you don't have to answer every thread, but a classic thing with a lot of television is that they pose all these questions and then you've suddenly got 60 minutes left to like give a whole load of backstory and answers. So Which never really pays off particularly well. So. No, but I think it'll be interesting. I'm sure we'll hit on it again if we both carry on watching. Yeah, I think mm. I'm going to see it through to the end, just more out of intrigue than anything. Mm. So from TV on to movies, um, I feel like I've watched actually watched quite a lot in mm. the whatever, 25, 25 days that we've had of January mm-hmm. so far. But a lot of it's been catching up on things from last year or old, much older things. I've just had a lot of spare time on my hands. Anyway, one thing that we did go to see at the cinema was uh, Jojo Rabbit. So we've sort of been waiting for this for a while, haven't we? Um, it was released here in the UK on, I think it was on New Year's Day. I think it was on New Year's Day. Didn't it come out in the States in like October, November, something like yeah, ages ago? Absolutely. So it technically is a 2019 American comedy drama written and directed by Taika Waititi based on, which I don't think I realised actually, mm. based on Christine Lunan's book, Caging Skies. Mm-hmm. Roman Griffin Davis plays the titular character, Johannes Jojo Betzler, a Hitler youth member who finds out his mother, played by Scarlett Johansson, is hiding a Jewish girl, Thomas and Mackenzie, in their attic. He must then question his beliefs while dealing with the intervention of his imaginary friend a fanciful version of Adolf Hitler played by Taika Waititi the film also stars Rebel Wilson Stephen Merchant Alfie Allen and Sam Rockwell amongst others it was the sixth feature film by Taika Waititi and it premiered at TIFF last year where it won the People's Choice Award and has subsequently gone on to find itself nominated for a number of awards including some at the Golden Globes and also the upcoming Oscars um, it's drawn mostly praise especially for the performances its visual style and production values but has also received a lot of criticism for its comedic portrayal of Nazis. So I think when we saw that this was a thing that Taika Waititi was doing, we were somewhat apprehensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I speak for both of us when I say that we are big Taika Waititi fans. Yeah, definitely. I've got a lot of time for him. I think he's a great director. A lot of time for Taika, a lot of time for the work that he's produced. So I think that we were intrigued, apprehensive. Yes. When we saw that the kind of response to it, when it's had its release in the States in particular. It's pretty marmite I'd say. Very marmite It feel, felt a little bit from an outside perspective before seeing it that it was either going to be a film that we felt very strongly about either we would really really love it or I think we would vehemently hate it I I thought it was going to be a a bit of a joker in you know I'm using that very loosely but like either I'll be raving about it or I'll be like that was the worst film I've seen I think I can't can't remember what film it was that we went to see when we first saw the trailer on it together and I just remember seeing it in the cinema with you the trailer um, and looking at you and being a bit like we were both very unsure don't know how I'm going to feel about this it just makes me a little bit uncomfortable and not in a way that I enjoy so we knew that we were going to have to go and see it I think we were intrigued we went into the cinema feeling I guess trying to be as open-minded as yeah, possible I mean it's a great cast on the the, the very you know on cast. the face of things it's like a very entertaining cast and I feel like we saw it slightly later than a lot of other people did as well especially around that new year period mm-hmm. I know there were some previews before before the end of last year as well so I think I'd seen a lot of people online, not necessarily critics-wise, but like friends and, and sort of mutuals mm. that we have saying that they thought it was like the best thing that they'd ever seen and blah, blah. So I think that twinned with the critical response that I'd seen I that made me feel a little bit more confused about how I would feel about it going yeah, in. Yeah. So we went mm-hmm. and it was a time, wasn't it? It was. I mean... I came out more middle of the road than I expected. I didn't vehemently hate it and I didn't love it. I was like a solid five out of ten. I felt like it was like, I don't think you can question that it's a film with fairly good intentions, Mm. but it's quite a mess for me. 
I find it interesting that I've spoken to a few people and they've actually said that they enjoyed it at the time, but as time has gone on, they the more they think about it, the more they don't actually think it's as good as they thought it was initially. Yeah, and yeah. I definitely had, I say had fun. The first 20, 25 minutes of this, I was didn't laugh once. And I was like, shit, this is, I don't think this is, I just don't think this film's for me. No. Like, I don't think I'm going to get it. So I went with you and Tom, and I remember looking at both of you definitely within that first half an hour. And, and Just didn't laugh. And I think mostly our response to it at that point had just been like slight bewilderment, confusion. Anytime anyone in the audience laughed at stuff that I just didn't find funny, I felt like, oh, this is making me wince. It was very, it's funny that you mentioned Joker actually it reminded me of when we went to see Joker mm. and there were a lot of the audience reaction to stuff that's happening on screen and I was just sitting there being like huh and and I there were very there were comparable moments in Jojo Rabbit actually where people were laughing at things and I was like I don't think that's funny and which is no, fine it's, it's all subjective yeah, but yeah. that first half an hour for me like you say absolutely <laughs> and I don't just didn't yeah it's and it was it's not even the fact that it was like tackling the the historical period in a humorous way i don't have a problem with really and i think if you want to make a case for who is like quote unquote entitled to make a film like this then you know uh, some a director of jewish heritage is fully entitled to make this sort of thing and it wasn't that it was like the first half of fact you know it wasn't that it wasn't funny because it was in really bad taste it just like it just wasn't the I don't know for some reason the humor just wasn't clicking with me no, at all. No, it's the same. So it just made it feel like a bit of a mess, and it does waver between sort of being quite I don't want to say not sentimental that's the wrong word but like I think it wants to make you laugh and cry. But I, I just it's... found it was a I, it was more of a mess than I expected it to be. It's not a very together film, I don't think. My issue with it is that I'm not against making satire of this particular no. historical period or... Well, that's what satire's for, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and I'm all for that, and I think there have been some very good satirical examples of, you know, lampooning Nazis yeah. and Second World War, especially modern, you know, in a modern context. I'm not saying that that's not something we should be doing. I just don't think it does it particularly well, and I think that was the issue for me, and it does tread this strange line between being, like going from being like ha ha nazis they were quite foolish and funny really when you think about it in retrospect Mm. to suddenly like tugging on your heartstrings but not in a way that feels coherent and connected it felt like just too like oh we better like stuff some sentimentality Mm. in here just to undercut the fact that we're basically saying that like nazis were all just a bit camp and all yeah and it wavers between being like nazis are idiots but also they're morally complex people and a lot of them like, Which I didn't... You know, a lot of them were brought into this situation when they didn't want to be. And it really, it weighs very heavily on the... It's not sympathetic towards Nazis, no. but this idea of... There was like a New Yorker piece by Richard Brody. He was saying, sort of, quote unquote, don't judge a Nazi by its cover mm-hmm. is the idea of this, that, you know, many of the characters in this film are actually very morally complex. And are they fully responsible for their actions under mm-hmm. this party? And are they not part of a system? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Jojo is, he has this clouded perspective because he's grown up as a you know member of the Hitler youth. And mm-hmm. it wants you to sympathise with them, but is also saying like, ha ha, aren't they? 
stupid. And it, it just felt quite messy for I me think, in that respect. Yeah, I think I'm definitely in, in agreement. I, I think I, one of the things I said to you afterwards is I just don't know how many f- more films or TV or anything I need where it's like Nazis. They're people too. Because obviously, like, the complexities of getting involved in political conflict of that kind are obviously, like, nuanced and there's a whole... So complex, you know, yeah. It's very, very complex themes to unpack and represent on screen and stuff. And, and I'm not downplaying how difficult that can be. But for me, it just didn't work and I understand that the film is meant to be through a child's eyes and the child coming to terms with actually the stark reality mm. of war and and being indoctrinated into something and actually under- coming to realise mm. that actually oh shit like this goes beyond and, yeah. and actually the, the real reality of it. Yeah and I found it interesting actually we're, we're talking about this because it is very focused on the Nazis and I think it would be you know examining this sort of complex positioning that they're in would work better if we also had some well-rounded Jewish characters. Yeah. But we actually just don't. Like, Elsa's not very rounded you- as a person and there's basically no Jewish perspective in the rest of the film, really. So it's just not very balanced. It's just a bit weird. It's, I think that's the thing. And it's I didn't. I definitely didn't hate it. I no. did feel a little bit like it is a little bit Wes Anderson light yeah a couple of people said that aesthetically and I think that got people's backs up a little bit didn't it yeah it's just a bit strange and I think that I don't I don't I didn't, definitely didn't hate it and I know there were bits that I laughed at in yeah the end, and definitely. I can understand why someone might really enjoy it I mean I think that one of the things that kept coming up when we've talked about it subsequently is the thing I didn't find the Adolf Hitler imaginary friend stuff funny at all I it just, felt weird to it me. just seemed really like my thing, main thing with that there's a there's a part of the film where for like 15 minutes you don't see him and then he comes back and I'd forgotten he even existed because yeah. you could literally take Taika as Hitler out of this film and it, and wouldn't. it wouldn't make any difference to the it has no bearing on the the plot really no like it's I a think weird it is weird isn't it it's weirdly kind of balanced and I think that actually we both were in agreement that it's the back half of the film that works particularly I think that well. works better yeah for me. and I think that that was what saved it for me and I do think like you said the performances are really really Roman Griffith Davis is such a good performer he's, he's fantastic he's a brilliant Jojo and I really like the relationship between him and his mother um, Scarlett's great and Scarlett like Johansson we've is discussed great before I don't always love her and I think she's really good in this. there's one moment in particular where they're having dinner and jojo says his so his dad is part of he's away well, he's fighting. Quite, quite absent isn't he fighting, yeah he's yeah. fighting during the war and, and jojo's having dinner and he says he wishes his dad was there and and then scarlett hansen's character gets very upset by this and but then she puts on his coat and then pretends to be his dad and that mm. moment in particular like mm. really got me and i think she was you know so i can't i don't think you can downplay her performance you know I, sam rockwell is great in it and love you know, sam rockwell still fancy him even in this like yeah. quite intensely which was awkward Thomas and Mackenzie and the relationship that she yeah. and her character Elsa has with Jojo I think Great. they were a brilliant pair so it's not oh, that right. I think that it was just awful bad or anything like that no, I no, just no. I'm so straight down the middle and I think that you're right what you said about how the more that I think about it the more actually I have more issues with it or didn't enjoy it as mm, much mm. and and you're like it's fine it's fine I just yeah. I'm so I do feel a little bit like I'm baffled as to why everyone thinks it is the most amazing film in the entire world I get I get the heart or warming aspect I get yeah, why yeah. you 
you'd be sort of really overwhelmed by you know a child coming to understand that his parents are involved in the war and actually the reality that perspective i think is like quite unique and quite powerful yeah i just don't think it complete like i think it's just a bit of a mess i think it's completely <laughs> totally a mess. A bit i think of a mess the more i've read about it and there are little things in it that i've just sort of have lingered with me in a way where i've kind of had to interrogate it and there's i think we'll definitely link to some of the articles and things yeah that there's some really reading. interesting perspectives i have to say actually think about it like one of these scenes i really liked was someone in was with stephen merchant when yeah. they were searching the house i thought it was really good a character I really had no time for at all was Rebel Wilson. It's just like, no. I don't like Rebel Wilson. No. She just does a very Rebel Wilson thing, which was funny in Pitch Perfect 1. Yeah. And then since then, I've just gone, oh, you're Rebel Wilson in all yeah. films. So here it was like, you're just annoying and crass. Like, I don't... For me, like, really straight down the middle. It looks good. I really enjoy the costuming in it. The Jojo's, music's great. Yeah, the music's great. Jojo's... I cried. I mean, I did cry. I There's a really cried. heart-stoppingly shocking moment that yeah. made me cry. Like, yeah. it really hurt. So there's some very effective moments in it. I just wasn't bowled away by it in, in the same manner that everyone else seems to be, which is fine because I'm sure, as we've said as well, I think we are people that seek out and actively go and see a lot of films. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that there are things that I feel particularly strongly about. I know quite a few people watch. have had like lukewarm to a bit warmer reactions to little women for example yeah i mean they're wrong but they're wrong (laughs) you know but yeah there are things that i you know absolutely love that i'm sure people would be absolutely bewildered by so it's not a judgment on right or wrong or anything like that i just was a little bit let down by taika yeah Um, i think it's probably my weakest taika watiti film that i've seen i don't think Um, i'll go back to it but no i don't think i said to you earlier it felt a bit like a british reference a bit like a film four on a sunday afternoon film like it just wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, but um, I'm glad I've seen it. Yeah. On to another film that we saw just this week, actually. I think it's got quite a limited release in the UK. Is Just Mercy. So this is a 2019 American legal drama directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, based on the book by Brian Stevenson. So Brian Stevenson is a profoundly important American lawyer. He's a social justice activist. He's the founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, and he's a clinical professor. So he's spent all of his career challenging biases bias around the poor and minority groups in the criminal justice system, especially children and people of colour. He saved dozens of prisoners from the death penalty. His book, Just Mercy, A Story of Justice and Redemption, was published in 2014. And this film is based on that book. And I've read the book and it's one of those books that has really, really stuck in my mind. And there are a lot of chapters in it that come forth in my mind when I've talked to people about criminal justice system especially in america and racial bias even things like child poverty and the law in america is a really really powerful book this film is based on that book it stars michael b jordan as brian stevenson and jamie fox as walter mcmillan alongside rob morgan tim blake nelson rave spall and brie larson tells the story uh, it's a true story of walter mcmillan who was wrongly convicted for murder and sentenced to death in alabama in the 80s after years of unsuccessful appeals brian stevenson joins his case and brian starts the investigation from scratch with the help of a small team to try and get walter free so i don't think it's a film that's getting talked about a lot maybe because it's it hasn't got a huge release over here in particular um so i don't really know anyone else who's seen it actually but what did you think of it as someone who hasn't read that book so didn't know the background so i i haven't read the book i've had a copy of the book on my desk at work for probably about 
two years <laughs> since I gave it to you. Yeah, I, I mean, probably since the point that I saw that Michael B. Jordan and his production company mm. had optioned it. I'm a big Michael B. Jordan fan He's going so back good. to The Wire, mm. Wallace, um, and him playing Vince Howard in Friday Night Lights. And we love Michael B. Jordan. So when I saw that his production He's company wonderful. had optioned it, and I had a brief awareness of what the book was about because it had come up through our discussions. Our friend Vix and you very much enjoyed mm. it. So I was like, okay, very intrigued by this. So knew that it was coming out had sort of forgotten actually and then um, well, it has kind of quietly existed I it's think. quietly existed it came out in the states last year i think and it's i think it's flown under the radar award wise in a way i find very interesting mm-hmm. and then i saw that it was finally getting a release here so we made a real point of mm. going just to sort of capture the opportunity of of having the chance to see it and so going into it i had a little bit of an awareness of what it was about about who brian stevenson was i think i, I roughly knew that it was about the film itself was going to be about this one one specific case that he was involved with mm. the Walter McMillan case um I think I that was all I knew though I didn't know that Brie Larson was in it mm. when she popped up I was like all right okay yeah I don't think I I don't think I knew she was in it either because we both looked at each other when she came on the screen yeah. we were like shit Brie Larson so I, I knew that it was Michael B Jordan I knew that Jamie Foxx was mm. in it I think I only really knew that Jamie Foxx was in it because when like Hollywood Reporter and doing all those round tables mm. and you know award season of course like, yeah because Jamie Foxx was it yeah, yeah he'd yeah, been yeah. involved in a lot of those so I don't think I even realised until that point um, so I, I knew sort of like bare minimum and I um, I really enjoyed it I do think it's quite quietly powerful I think it's how you'd describe yeah, it yeah it's very I've put like powerful and profound but quiet it's like very it's, it's yeah. very quiet. I think there's really Michael B. Jordan, I think, is a very interesting performer. It's such a contrast. So I think the last thing I saw him in would have been Black, Black Panther, Panther playing Killmonger. It's a real and actually I noted that I think there were quite a few people in the cinema who probably were going to see it because it was Michael B. Jordan. Which and they were like, of, Michael B. Jordan is hot, great in these like quite big yeah. blockbuster films, going to see him. Which like, is quite quite interesting really for me because I think that he's really good in those like blockbuster, mm. like, you know, Black Panther the creed mm. that type of thing but he's also a very like sensitive is, like yeah. quiet hard-hitting performer it's why mm. i really liked him as wallace in mm. the wire um he was in a film called fruitvale station a few years ago which is a really really like gut-punching film and i think that this is a perfect example of like the type of thing that he can do in a role he's like a very this. good actor um, but it's just a really unassuming kind of like quiet film i thought the pacing of it was really really good it definitely didn't feel like it was a slog or anything Mm. like that and i think that had been my worry actually is that given the intensity of the of the subject matter about the fact that it's about you know like wrongful imprisonment Mm. it's about death row Mm. it's about the criminal justice system the incredibly racist criminal justice system in particular in the states is set in the south so race in in, it takes an entire other Mm. kind of um form in that sense so i was really worried that it was just going to feel like a slog yeah but it just didn't and I do think that it has really lingered with me this week in a way where I've kind of thought about different aspects of it mm. and then it's just made me want to go back and read more and I'm going to re- mm. I'm going to read the book I think because I'm so intrigued about it's Brian really Stevenson book to yeah. get through it's just it it certainly doesn't give you um a lot of I don't know confidence in the world I mean it should because Brian Stevenson's doing like amazing amazing work but it's just so hard yeah. to know that people suffer like that it's just really hard the book and the film to not feel really affected by something that's so blatantly unjust like yeah. especially in a so this is in the 80s but we know that it's still we're still in a society that is so shaped by racism and yeah. bias against the poorer classes minority groups it's just 
I don't know. There's no words for it, really. I do think it succeeds in a way where you leave and you're still thinking about the, mm-hmm. the injustices and actually how horrifying it is and how there's just so much... Well, like, we need to be all be doing so much more to sort of, mm-hmm. you know, get rid of those that level of injustice. I feel like a film like this could have been very aggressively gut-punching, yeah. intense. Yeah. And actually, I think that the way that I found this to be particularly successful is that it's not like that at no, all. No, not at all. So you kind of have the positivity of one particular case in it, but mm-hmm. also you see that actually that's not that, that so that's rarely not happens. Whole it's not across the board. Yeah, there's a side story with Rob Morgan who plays Herbert Richardson, who is a war veteran who has PTSD, and he's also on death row. And his is you know a case that doesn't have such a happy ending, and that is truly harrowing like the demonstration of sort of capital punishment and the way that it affects the person who is being killed and the people around them is just sickening it really is that was a really hard thing to watch it was wasn't it and i think it it's not that it's important that we are faced with things like that but it is sort of important that we are faced yeah there's so there's so many elements of that to be honest i forget capital punishment is even a thing sometimes and i think that's the thing of us living in a country where capital punishment isn't yeah. thing so i think it's it's really you know remiss of us to sometimes kind of just overlook the fact that like actually if you're in prison for a crime in the united states in particular states that's a very very real thing and we one of the things that we mm. were talking about i think is just this idea that you are sentenced to death but then you could end up on death row for like 30 40 years yeah. before it even happens rob morgan's character talks about this in the film the fact that there's no other real scenario on earth in which you know the day you're gonna die like even if you're very sick yeah you might know that you're going to die, but yeah. you don't know. No one hands you a letter and says, this is the day you die. Like, it's such a weird concept. It's, it's just, just awful. Jamie Foxx is great in this. He's I don't, I, brilliant. I don't remember. The, I can't really think of many Jamie Foxx performances that have like, really stood out for me. But he's really, really good in this. He's really good in it in a way that I found very anger inducing when I think about like and I don't I, I think that like awards aren't the be all and end all of everything but it's just this is such an overwhelming performance it's fantastic he's such a good actor in this yeah. and it is it's one of those performances that you think like oh this will get awards love because yeah. it has to and then it doesn't no. <laughs> so it's just I don't know it's it is a, it does feel like a quiet film in all aspects in that it has gone under the radar quite a bit it's not being celebrated publicly by the awards in the way that you'd expect and it's not got a really widespread release either so i think if people have the opportunity to go and see it they should try and Mm. seek it out because it's just a really important film i think in terms of content and then you know giving the impetus to sort of go away and have a look at the work that brian stevenson is doing and, and read around you know his work so moving from films and things that have and haven't been nominated for awards and we thought that given the timing that this sort of episode situates itself in and the season that we're currently in we thought we would talk about do our Oscars predictions for the Academy Awards and also just our general reaction to awards season as it currently stands so like I said it's 25th of January we are right in the middle of it Um, I have got a timeline what Um, would this podcast be without a timeline I just can't function without a timeline so it is the awards season so we had the Golden Globes on the 6th of January we had the New York Critics Circle on the 7th of January Critics Choice Awards on the 12th of January Producers Guild of America on the 18th the SAGs were on the 19th which we've already briefly touched upon Mm -hmm. Um, the 
Directors Guild of America Awards are this evening, I believe. Ooh. Grammys tomorrow. Wow, yes, of course. Grammys tomorrow. Sure. And then um, final voting for the Oscars happens on the 30th of Jan. The Writers Guild of America Awards are on the 1st of Feb. BAFTA's 2nd of Feb. Oscars voting closes on the 4th of Feb. Independent Spirit Awards on the 8th. And then the Oscars ceremony on the 9th of Feb. It feels like ooh, a relatively ooh, short ooh. period. Last year, I think it was much longer. I feel like it went on forever last year. Yeah, last year um, it was much longer. This year it's quite short. keeping it short and sweet this time. Um, So we've had a lot of awards announcements as well. Some of the ceremonies have already taken part. So we thought we'd do like a little bit of an overview and then end with our kind of picks. Then by the time we next record, the Oscars will probably be over and we'll get to talk about what did and didn't happen. So um, where should we start with Golden Globes? Yeah, let's start with the 77th Golden Globes. 77th Golden Globes happened on the 6th of January, hosted by Ricky Gervais. I hate Ricky Gervais. I cannot begin to tell you just how disgusting I find Ricky Gervais at this point in life. I think I sent you a thing the other day because he tweeted about he was in a restaurant and he was really pissed off that someone was chewing with their mouth open and I believe he referred to them acting like they were quote-unquote a brain-damaged cunt. I hate Ricky Gervais. He's horrible. He's notably transphobic. He's just a massive misogynist. He's Why just vile. Why does he and host these things? It's so funny to me because I feel like who else has trounced their cultural legacy so aggressively <laughs> like Ricky Gervais? Like, I, hand on heart, I loved The Office when it came out. Right. I thought those se- two series of The UK Office were just like, you know, mm-hmm. a real pinnacle in the history of British comedy. Yeah. And Ricky Gervais, you know, I, I watched some of his stand-up after him, yeah. that. thought People he was great. But he's just... Now he gets off on being, like, controversial. He's like the Piers Morgan of the oh, fucking comedy God. world, isn't so, he? And, and his entire spiel at the, the Golden Globes was like, I'm going to be here and say controversial stuff. I'm going to say mean things about people. And it's just... I find it like... I mean... If anyone out there really actively enjoys Ricky Gervais, fine, you do you. But I just, I I'm baffled. Get I hope I, get he's it. like a word of warning for James Corden. I think James Corden needs to be very careful. God. It doesn't go down the same road. It's vile. Anyway, yeah. there's enough time spent on Ricky Gervais. He's not uh, hosting it next year anyway. It's been announced it's going to be God Amy Poehler and Tina Fey back again. So. Much better. Anyway, the Golden Globes happened. I've got some initial thoughts and feelings on there. Go Su- on. So Succession finally won some things. Do you know what? I'm very pleased for you. Thanks so much. I'm really pleased as well. Um, it was a great time for me to finally get my Succession pals. Yeah, I wouldn't have wanted to be in the crossfire if they hadn't won. Oh so God, it was literally, I think it was all I wanted. I think was I know. was for that to happen. So it did. Joaquin Phoenix won. For he best did. actor, he, he did, did a weird speech about not flying and saving the world. Did it got they had a hundred hundred percent plant based menu this year, which I assume is due to Joaquin Phoenix. So, go off, uh, Joaquin. Fine, great. Fine. Just making those small changes. <laughs> small changes. So we've all flown there. Um, uh, Renee Zellweger won an award. She did. I'm never going to watch Judy. Sorry. Um, Judy was fine. I saw yeah, Judy with my I'm mum. Not watch we Judy. had a good time. It's all right then. Renee Zellweger doesn't look like Renee Zellweger anymore. No, she, she looks like a, a wax figure. Sure um, Aquafina won best actress for which was. Great. Glad that she did that. Taryn Egerton got an award, which, to be honest, I expected. Yeah, fine. I I thought I thought he was going to be like the Rami Malek of well, this boys, homeboy's been campaigning the shit out of this season. So. Man, he's been everywhere. We've seen him in person. He's been apparently everywhere. My favorite rumor about Taryn Egerton's campaigning for his role as Elton John in Rocket Man is that he had a birthday party. <gasps> Heard about and this? He voted yeah. all of the voters to his birthday party. Des- I'm not sure. It smells of desperation. Does he's very bit. good in Rocket Man? Though I will say that. I mean, I'm um, sure he's very good. I enjoyed that film. Um, Brad Pitt won. He 
did, which I'm very pleased about, obviously. First first of his uh, speeches in which he has reinvented himself as someone quite... Um, he looked great. Sexy and charismatic. Looked beautiful. Um, Sam Mendes won Best Director. He did. Which, which we'll come on to you I didn't, didn't actually expect, to be mm, honest. Um, I didn't, but now I think it's set the ball rolling. I think it's set the bar, hasn't it? It really has. Um, and also Parasite won for Best Motion Picture foreign language so um which was nice small good. small victories overall pretty male pretty white the only thing slightly more interesting is that it wasn't the exact same film fours uh, four films on repeat across all categories no when i say diversity i certainly don't mean in the cast but it, it wasn't <laughs> in just different films. joker once upon a time no. in hollywood 1917 and whether the fourth one would be probably irishman there yeah you go. i did enjoy some of the red carpet things i enjoyed thinking a lot about um, Joaquin Phoenix and Rooney Mara's relationship because in his speech he total weirdos aren't they they're such freaks total weirdos absolute love to be a fly on the wall my favourite conversations they must have my favourite part about his acceptance speech was when he just like said something about Rooney and they just looked at each other very intensely I bet they just have a very intense relationship they just have some wild 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 sex yeah so Um, that's the Golden Globes yeah so it was nice but to be honest like on that day I seem to remember having some sort of personal uh, meltdown over whatever it was I was having a meltdown over on that day and the Golden Globes wasn't quite enough to draw me out of that it was fine I think most of my enjoyment basically came from red carpet yeah, in Which in a way fine. that it usually does. In like, oh, here's Phoebe Waller-Bridge looking quite sexy. Like, here's think, Andrew Scott in a nice, you know. Yeah, I think it was for that me, I did. I look at who, looked at who the wins were, and then was just crushingly disappointed, and realised that it is just set the bar for everything else going forward. So I became immediately disinterested. So I had to lose myself in what people were wearing, which always seems to be the case. Yes, that is the true. We usually just do hot takes on dresses and suits, which I imagine is what we'll do post Oscar win. Hundred percent. BAFTA nominations which were announced on the 7th of January. Now, this takes place on, as you said, on the 2nd of February at the Royal Albert Hall in London. I would say, of all of the awards ceremonies so far, this is truly the lowest, lowest in terms of variety boring it's uh, this is terrible i just think this is absolute dirge boring disgusting i mean joker leads the pack with 11 nominations closely followed by the irishman and once upon a time in hollywood with which both have 10 each and then 1917 has nine i mean the main and then jojo rabbit was six and jojo rabbit was six and the main thing i think about the the baftas which has caused quite a lot of controversy is the fact that it's just just extremely white yeah it's just cynthia erivo's like literally the only person who is not white absolutely so the main acting categories fail to include a single person of colour at the same time as no female filmmakers made it onto the director's shortlist weirdly Margot Robbie will compete against herself for best supporting actress absolutely laughable because she's nominated for both Bond no offence but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I feel quite fondly towards Margot Robbie but even I think this is fucking ridiculous well it's not like there wasn't anyone else fucking acting their asses off this year no I mean come on my guys so basically the awards were announced and everyone immediately was just criticised them rightfully so for the lack of diversity BAFTA have now announced that they'll be undertaking a diversity review in the wake of the nominations um, in an email to voters Mark Samuelson who's the head of BAFTA's film committee and BAFTA chief executive Amanda Berry said the nominations were quote frustrating and deeply disappointing and confirmed they would undertake the review they wrote we will 
review all aspects of our voting process, listen to all interested parties and tackle what more needs to be done to address the root cause of underrepresentation in our nominations. It seems funny that they would need to undertake a review when last year they introduced new criteria for two awards to, quote, encourage better representation and increased inclusivity across the British industry so films couldn't be nominated for Best British Film or Best British Debut unless they met at least two or four diversity standards. So all of the films that did meet those are in those categories apparently met diversity standards, but I couldn't quite tell you how. Like it's, it's really just a mess, isn't it? it? It's just so shamefully embarrassing that these award nominations came out and then immediately people from BAFTA were just like, like, yeah, no, I know they're really it's bad. A sham, aren't they? isn't it? We what? should probably do something about You're this. And it's involved in it. A lot of the discussion I've seen subsequently has basically said like it's fine for you to be saying that like change needs to happen, change needs to happen, but change needs to come from within the industry. So you're within the industry. I can't change. So you need to do something about it. Yeah. I remember watching quite a lot of the BAFTAs last year. um, And I remember like being on social media as the winners were revealed. And I just don't think I'll do that this year. I don't care. No, the BAFTAs are just a bit of a baffling. BAFTAs are baffling. Baffling BAFTAs. I mean, generally on the snubs front, there's no... Greta for Best Director, Hustlers, nothing for Hustlers, Lupita's been snubbed. So basically it's very similar to everything else, except it's just even more massively white. Yeah, Um, it's just 1917, The Joker, The Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sure, fine, great. Anyway, we'll we'll probably talk about those at some point. Hopefully some nice people will turn up in some nice outfits. Yeah. And then I guess SAG Awards as well. Yes, took place on the 20th of January. So it's the Screen Actors Guild Awards. It's fairly highly regarded, isn't it? Yeah. Because the number of the committees involved there's like over 2,000 people involved in the process and then the full membership so like 165,000 people were able to vote for the winners so it's better in a, to a degree than like the 40 people that get to decide <laughs> some of the other awards I mean the thing with SAGs is is that it's actors voting for actors yeah. so you often see when things are awarded you kind of I don't know not that it takes more importance over everything I else I think but people are more touched when they're voted yeah. for I, I think, think if, you can tell yeah that. you definitely can I think if I was an actor and I got a SAG award for my performance I probably would take that on board a lot more than something else that had been voted by like the some journalists that got butted up by like <laughs> went to Taron Egerton's party birthday and party. was like oh cool yeah, yeah. completely um, I think the standout things for me were um Oh, the thing that I like about the SAGs actually is that they have a, an overall cast performance. Yes. So it's like taking into nice. consideration the entire cast, which I think is a really nice award. I wish the Oscars had that, but this year it was won by Parasite. Yes, it was, which was excellent. Which is always delightful to see. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that happened, um, Joaquin Phoenix's speech. Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? He's totally weird, you know. So, Not always in a good way. No, so I, big Joaquin fan, historically big Joaquin fan. Did you need him to win? I didn't, no. Best male so, actor in a leading role, though, for Joker. I will say that I actually find it massively offensive that he has won for this role. I do get that it's quite an immersive role, blah, blah, blah. But when you look back at, like, Joaquin Phoenix's acting history, especially within the last few years, there are so many other performances that I really wish that he'd won an award for so like I sense that he probably finds it quite offensive as well which is why I think he's probably take, stepping up to the plate though because I feel like you have to take it when you get it and mm-hmm. there's something really ironic to me so his um, SAG speech which we will link to he, in it he talks about how when he was at these awards last time he didn't really appreciate it and there's 
it's quite a notable example of how I think it might have been during the awards cycle for The Master, mm-hmm. so the film he did with Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm. He basically stopped going to awards ceremonies because he basically said that awards are loads of. I mean, I'm surprised he goes to them anyway now. Which is why like, I find it odd. So I think that you know his performance in in The Master is is fucking amazing. His performance in Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here, which was last year, mm-hmm. um, is just like god tier for me. So I'm, this is I think it's partly why I don't. It's not that I don't think Joaquin Phoenix is a brilliant actor. It's not that I don't want him. He'll to never win be it. a bad actor. No, but I just don't. I'm I'm annoyed that he's winning for this film. performance. But his speech at the SAGs, he basically just goes through all of the other people that are nominated. <laughs> he basically tells Adam Driver that Adam Driver should, should have got won it. this award. Yeah, and like when you watch it, Adam Driver is just there, like mm-hmm. an awkward person addressing an awkward person, That's and there's so just some cameras awkward. on it. Awkward. He talks about how he went to loads of auditions, and like there would always be someone that would beating them out, and then people were talking about this legendly Leo, and it was Leonardo DiCaprio, and like, and then and then he, he talks. Is it? Does he talk about Heath Ledger? Yeah, as well? and then he basically finishes it by saying that he's standing on the shoulders of his favorite actor, Heath Ledger, and I. Is Heath Ledger's favourite actor? I don't... I Come just, on, man. I think that it's particularly telling to me that he... So Joaquin Phoenix is winning all these awards for his role as the Joker. And obviously Heath Ledger is an actor who won awards for his performance in Christopher Nolan's mm-hmm. Batman films as mm-hmm. the Joker. So I feel like it's just... A thing that I often find quite interesting to talk about is... So obviously Heath Ledger died at a very untimely stage in his career. And I, I often think about looking... You know when that films come out and you mm. think about like, oh, I wonder who could have done that role mm. I often think about who occupies now that Heath Ledger yeah, like yeah, slightly yeah, weird yeah. space and I think Joaquin Phoenix in particular is Probably someone who actually you could easily see Heath Ledger getting a lot of those roles that Joaquin Phoenix now gets yeah. um, Jake Gyllenhaal someone else as well that mm. I think occupies that thing but so it just felt like a weird thing he's gonna get best actor for everything really I th- um, it feels like it's fine. an award where people are giving him because they like him and like his performances and know he's a good actor you know when you when yeah it's like a general career award rather than in this film award it's like when um martin scorsese won for i think the departed mm-hmm. or, or was it departed or gangs of new york whichever film he won yeah. for where it was a bit like that's not his best film it's not his best work but we're just giving him one yeah it's like slightly it's egregious. a lifetime achievement award in a different category it's slightly egregious that he's not yet got one so mm. we'll just give him an award fine so. yeah i mean there were a few other films that i was glad to see were sort of given a nod and nominated so we mentioned how Lupita Nyong'o, you know, has been overlooked at the Golden Globes. So she was nominated uh, for film actress in a leading role for us. Jennifer Lopez got her um, nomination for Hustlers for supporting role. Had Jamie Foxx nominated for supporting role um, for Just Mercy. So there was some, you know, it was slightly more, I don't mean diverse, in terms of like the, the number of films that were actually reappearing in all of these categories. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was slightly more <laughs> widespread yeah completely i do think that you could say that that probably does come from the fact that it is actors voting for actors so yeah. maybe like they're a little bit more attuned to actually those who's very given, good performances yeah. and who actually should be recognized versus like who by committee think the awards should go to yeah. um, do you want to talk about brad's brad's acceptance speech brad pitt smashing it out of the park i spend a lot of time thinking about brad pitt do in you? various stages of undress do you yeah quite a lot actually i don't know if you've noticed Never um, mentioned it. it's sort of overtaken my life in a way that is probably quite not great to my mental health um 
because just fancy him so much. Um, yeah, he graced the stage, held up his award and made a joke about having to add it to his Tinder profile. That was a good one. I He 100% doesn't know what Tinder is. He doesn't is. know what Someone Tinder is. I doubt, he's got, I doubt he's even got a smartphone. I don't, I don't think he does. He's got some old burner phone hasn't he he doesn't look on the internet yeah made the joke as we mentioned before about cliff booth being uh, a guy who gets high takes his shirt off and doesn't get on with his wife and how that was a big stretch the more i've thought about that it's such a weird thing to say it is and it's almost like his laugh afterwards was almost like he hadn't quite read this joke before he said it i just loved it so much the best one was him thanking his co-stars leonardo dicaprio margot robbie margot robbie's feet Margaret Qualey's feet, Dakota Fanning's feet. Seriously, Quentin has separated more women from their shoes than the TSA. That was... Quentin Tarantino looked so unhappy with that joke. Wasn't it Just a weird... I mean... so unhappy. I was so pleased to see someone publicly... Isn't it funny? He's absolutely... Publicly state that Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish. I do feel like Brad Pitt is like absolutely roasting Quentin on this awards He thing. is. He um, is on fire. I think I just want to actually just quickly go back to you with regards to the Golden Globes is when Brad referred to Leonardo DiCaprio as LDC. Oh my God, LDC. No one calls him that. Uh, apparently Leo looks so surprised. I don't think that's like a known nickname for him. He didn't realise, but uh, I think Brad calls him <laughs> that. Brad oh, Pitt's trying to get cool in his old age. Cool um, not sure it's working, but would certainly have sex with him. So who cares? That's who a cares? known piece of information. And then, I guess, Academy Awards. Yeah, so that's taking place... 8th. 8th of February. 8th of February, there you go. Unsurprisingly, Joker's leading the way with 11 Academy Award nominations. Briefly before we go into some of the the main categories no women have been nominated for best director so the nominations were announced by Issa Rae and John Cho um, which I think is some sort of weird uh-huh. diversity like tick box they, they were both brilliant both brilliant actors who I really really like but it is very like I don't know it just felt quite striking when you're announcing like an incredibly non-diverse <laughs> the irony nominations but almost um, painful so when Issa Rae announced the all-male director category I just really loved how point. I mean, I watched it these was so live. pointed. Oh my god! Did like a really pointed like congratulations to all those men, which obviously mirrors Natalie Portman's. Here yeah. are the the five are the ma- ma- yeah. all male nominees. So you know, it's good. Well, to apparently, forty nine out of fifty best director nominees of the past ten years have been men. So well, that's the only good. the only woman who's ever won is Catherine Bigelow yeah. for the Hurt Locker, which is an extremely male film. film. Male, male, very male. So it's like it's all it's like these um, films that are directed by women are actually just directed by themselves they are basically 19 out of 20 acting nominees this year are white whilst we're on that subject best supporting actor category did you look at how old they were yeah please read it so average age of the nominees 71 Brad Pitt is the youngest at 56 babes Tom Hanks 63 Joe Pesci 76 Al Pacino 79 Sir Anthony 82 isn't it wild old white men rule the world it's just maddening quite a boring way as you'd mentioned joker's got 11 nomination um it's nominated in the four fields that normally signify an Oscar winner so writing directing acting and editing um the irishman also scored pretty highly in those fields it's got 10 nominations i'm not surprised by either of these 1917 though seems to be the front runner and that also has 10 nominations Mm -hmm. some sort of standout things tom hanks's first nomination in almost 20 years Mm. for um his performance as mr rogers is a beautiful day in the neighborhood i didn't realize that the last time that tom hanks my personal fave was nominated for an award was for castaway in 2001 jesus christ isn't that mad and you think about the films that he's done between now and then there are some good ones 20 years that's been a long time his son 
needs to be locked into like locked in a cell oh, and never let out he's the troubled one he is you can tell he's the troubled child he's a handful and he's a handful um there's obviously nothing for jennifer lopez or hustlers which is a real shame i think and a real non-surprise was, actually real non-surprise but she was definitely running and gunning yeah it's it's a shame world. it's just it's that horrible point where i just don't feel surprised by any of it anymore i do feel like by the time the oscar nominations roll around you're sort of like a lack of energy regarding the awards season because you do take on board like all of the snubs and all of the emissions so it's sort of hard to be like oh my god i can't believe they didn't get one because actually it's just happened in other categories in other other ceremonies some surprises though i guess uh nothing for taron egerton nothing for eddie murphy nothing for aquafina Mm -hmm. nothing for the farewell Mm -hmm. no adam sun or uncut gems at Mm -hmm. all scarlett johansson got her first oscar nomination she got two of them for Mm -hmm. best actress for marriage story and then best supporting actress for jojo rabbit i think i found slightly weird was that Leo was nominated for Best Actor. Didn't see that coming for one time in Hollywood. No. I totally thought he would, so I kind of... Oh, interesting, okay. Yeah, I thought before 1917 was, like, a thing, I basically thought that, like, this year the Academy Awards are going to be basically Joker, The Irishman, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just throughout. So, um, you haven't seen 1917. No. But I have seen it, Mm. and I... Before it came out um, and it was sort of in this initial like awards chatter, I suppose, I didn't really think anything of it. And I was like, oh, maybe it's just in there because it's like a war film. and It's a total Oscar bait blah, movie, blah, isn't blah, it? Blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, and then I, I took my mum and dad to go and see it. And it's um, very good. Can't really fault it. You, you get into it, blah, blah, blah. But then I left the cinema and I was like, that's that's just it. That's it. That's the Oscars. But yeah, that's it's an absolute yeah. runaway yeah. train, I think. So I, I wasn't really surprised, actually, when the, I realised that it was just going to sweep the board. So preferential balloting. Are you aware of what preferential balloting is? Recap it. So I find the Oscars voting window is very, very short. And a thing that I don't think I realised was a thing. I feel like we discussed this last a couple year, yeah. of years ago. Yeah, it's this concept of preferential balloting, which is that the Academy uses preferential ballot to select best picture, which basically means that voters don't simply check off one movie to win, which you'd think that they would do. You do like- Instead, they have to rank all of the nominees yeah, from essentially best to worst. So when the ballots are collected, if a film a film wins, sorry, if it was ranked first by more than 50% of the Academy, mm-hmm. which just seems weird to me. Mm-hmm. It should be a case of this film got this many votes, this film got this many... It shouldn't be, like... No, it means that one that actually maybe didn't rank... Particularly highly. Highly, but... By by everyone, like, will win. Was on the middle ground for a lot of people that Paul gets. Yeah, so I... This, I feel... Like I interrogated this quite a lot after the last year's um, Oscars, where Green Book won, it makes you realise that it only probably only half of the voters ranked it particularly highly. Oh my god, it's like Brexit. Yeah, it is, and and half of the voters probably scored it quite lowly, but because the rest of them did, it's just weird. Preferential ballot. Well, there's a really good article about it on the Hollywood Reporter, which I read again today, which we'll link to because like it's such a baffling thing, mm. and I think they only brought it in in 2008 because well they can bring it out again, can't they? Get rid of it. Make any blood so we thought that we would sort of maybe do our picks of who we think will win versus who yeah. we want to win. Last year, I think we just did the big five, which mm-hmm. are considered best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and best screenplay. So mm-hmm. that's either original or adapted. This D-D-D-D. year, we have expanded it ever so slightly because I think there are some more interesting categories for us yeah. that we thought it would just be nice to just nice to cover. So we'll kind of bash through those. We won't go into too many details if you want to look at all of the nominations. It's not that we don't consider like the editing or sound design or costuming to be particularly worthy it's just that if we 
did every single one of them we would be here for 5,000 hours longer. also I don't feel like I'm like a technical expert so you don't I, feel I qualified don't, in sound editing no, no I don't feel like I can like yeah I mean I'm not qualified in any of this but I really don't think I can launch into like a five minute conversation about the nuances of sound editing because I don't really know what the fuck I'm talking about I'll no. just be like it's got some nice sound it sounded nice sounded cool like in, in I don't no good no good like I said we'll, we've got one two three four five six seven eight nine ten we've got ten categories we've chosen because I often think that we feel very strongly sometimes about who we want to win but that doesn't actually line up with who we actually think yes, will win I think that's um, so I think fair. in terms of us being realistic and in terms of us actually getting anything right we'll do who we think will win and who we want to win yeah so if we start with best picture not for any reason other than it just happens to at the top of my it's lovely spreadsheet <laughs> it's the best so nominations this year are Ford versus Ferrari The Irishman Jojo Rabbit Joker Little Women Marriage Story 1917 once upon a time in hollywood and parasite so who do you think will win i think 1917 yes. will win i also think 1917 before 1917 was a thing yeah. i thought maybe once upon a time in hollywood yeah. uh, was my my thought i don't think joker will get it no so i prior to seeing 1917 i definitely thought that it was going to be either the irishman mm-hmm. or once upon a time in hollywood but how fair. having now seen 1917 and become acutely aware of how like absolutely oscar baity it is i think it's gonna i be think that'll be the winner in an ideal world i would like either little women parasite or marriage story to win I yeah just i've said happen. little women or parasite i think parasite might be like the surprise win yeah. maybe if there's going to be a if it's going to be a surprise it will be parasite yeah i think that's why if I not think. it will be 1917 i would like little women to win it will not in a million years it definitely won't interesting that yeah i thought maybe rocket man might have been on the list mm. again not as a film that i'm particularly interested in mm-hmm. but i thought at the time when it came out there was so much hype around it it, was, it seemed like it was very similar to the way that bohemian rhapsody it felt like the bow raps of this year 100%, definitely and it's um, just not. and also the there's a snub for Luli Wang, as you said, for The Farewell. Baffled. So um, that's baffling and annoying, isn't it? Really bummer, actually, because that film's really, really good. And I, I thought she'd at least get a screenplay mm-hmm. um, credit for that. But no. So that's that's us on Best Picture. Actor in a leading role. I mean, these are so comparable to every other award ceremony. Uh, yeah. But, um, Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver for Marriage Story. Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. Which Truly I haven't, rando. I haven't seen yet. No, I'm not fussed personally, but there you go. No, so I think Joaquin Phoenix is going to win He'll this. win it. Yeah. He'll definitely win it. There's um, no way he's going to win it in every award no. ceremony except this one. It would be an absolute coup if he doesn't. I think it should be Adam Driver, though. Um, I would like Adam Driver. I'd quite like Leo in that Leo just never gets it. He got on for the Revenant. Well, he did get the Revenant, I guess. But I think it will be Joaquin Phoenix... If it wasn't Joaquin Phoenix, it could be Leonardo DiCaprio. But I think Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix is just a runaway for it. I will say that when we look back on this particular year and awards and who won what or something, I do think that the Joker um, wins will age horribly. Yeah, Um, they will, just like Green Book. And Adam Driver will go into history as being like an absolute snub for this particular film. What was the snub last year? um, He was nominated for Black Houndsman last year, which is fine, but I don't think he did. Can't remember now. Anyway, there's always uh, one Ethan Hawke. Oh, it was Ethan Hawke. First Reformed. It was Ethan Hawke. It's Ethan Hawke and First Reformed and also Joaquin Phoenix for You Were Never Really Here, really. But yeah, so... There's quite a few snubs in this category as well, I think. These nominations particularly this year just feel very very odd to me which i think i'll 
expand upon when we get to the supporting actors so. yeah I, I didn't think adam sandler were getting for uncut gems but i think a lot of people would have liked to have seen him nominated for i think uncut he gems. deserves it because i do think it's a career yeah best, but. uh song kang ho in parasite i guess i don't know whether you'd put leading or supporting but again taron Egg- Egg- egerton edgerton not sure taron sort of expected that he might get yeah. a nomination and i thought maybe eddie murphy might be in there as well but yeah again, absolutely no. so lead actress we've got cynthia revo for harriet scarlett johansson for marriage story Sasha ronan for little women charlie theron for bombshell and renee zellweger for judy i think unfortunately that renee zellweger will win it i think renee zellweger will get it as I well would love Sasha. I would like Saoirse as well. It's her fourth, fourth nomination. And she's such a youngin, and she's so good. She's been nominated so many times, give her it. But she won't, because Renee Zellweger will get it for Julie. This, Julie? Judy. This category is baffling to me. It I is. haven't seen Bombshell, but I know that it's not particularly good. It's got some... It's been nominated a lot, hasn't it? Yeah, it's which... Wild. Fine. I mean, it's interesting to see Scarlett Johansson in there for Marriage Story. I think that... I mean, her performance in that is, is amazing. It so. is very good. Yeah, this is where you saw the J-Lo snub. Yeah. Lupita snub. Yeah. and Aquafina in The Farewell. Yeah. I do, like I said, I have seen Judy and, and Renee Zellweger's performance. Is that not Oscars bait as well? It's 100% Oscars bait and I'm not really surprised that it's it, she's been nominated for a specific because it is very much like an immersive performance. Like she obviously got very into it and it's very visible on the screen. And I, when I did take my mum to see it, I did think the entire time, like this is like such peak Oscars film. It's the type of film I think you probably make as an actor knowing full well that you're like you'll be in the running nominations yeah. for it and she'll get it bearing in mind that she's not done a huge amount between this and you know in the mm-hmm. years previously I'm not really surprised it's like being billed as a little bit of her comeback which mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. even that in itself mirrors the story that it tells of Judy Garland as well mm-hmm. so that one's in the bag for her um, supporting actor Tom Hanks uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes Al Pacino for The Irishman Joe Pesci for The Irishman Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this is the only category that I think is like 100% locked in yeah it's 100% Brad Pitt it's 100% Brad Pitt I think Brad Pitt will win and obviously I want Brad Pitt to win um, I haven't yeah. seen The Irishman so I can't speak to the quality of everyone's performance I'm amazed they put it. two I think it'll cancel each other out though I think interestingly just going back to the best picture the only things I've not seen in that category now are Ford versus Ferrari and the Irishman which I'm going to try and do before the ceremony Mm. in a couple of weeks time I just find it odd again this would have been quite a nice category for Jamie Foxx to make an appearance in for Just Mercy maybe Timothy for Little Women who knows things like The Lighthouse was one of my favourite films of last year was never going to get any nominations in these categories you know in my brain i would have quite liked to see like rob pattinson or something but like it would never happen brad pitt's a sure fit he's absolutely sure fit i think it is interesting like you know the idea when we think about oscar snubs and things we'd like to see nominated for awards i think it's important to have like an actual realistic awareness of like the type of thing that would like the snubs and then there's like in an an ideal world i'd like to see this it would never even be in the running let alone snubbed I think I think is is quite funny in terms of the timeline of stuff. Actually, just going back to it, is that so the Independent Spirit Awards are on the eighth mm. of Feb and then the Oscars are on the ninth. Um, the Independent Spirit Awards is usually where all the films that we tend to like yeah. win big, win and things. I think like all your A two fours, all of your indie budget mm-hmm. sort of low key amazing we'll be, films will yeah, win big in that. So yeah. um, it's interesting how they are bookended like that. Um, so supporting actress Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell, Laura Dern, Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson, Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh for Little Women. 
in Margot Robbie for Bombshell. I think Laura Dern's going to get this. I will also. I think Laura Dern will get it. I would be quite happy for Laura Dern or Florence Pugh to get it. It will be Laura Dern. It will be Laura Dern. I think Um, Kathy Bates is a real... Where the fuck does that come from? Kathy Bates, I think, is... Um, I'm, I mean, I love Kathy Bates. Yeah, but. and I think she's meant to be very good in Richard Jewell. Kathy Bates actually is the only disruption, I think, potentially in this category, mostly because I think it could be one of those, oh, she deserves an award type of things. Another Lifetime achievement yeah. award. But I do think that Laura Dern's pretty... Lo- I mean, I think it's very nice that Florence Pugh's nominated. I enjoyed La- Florence Pugh's uh, awards nomination announcement on her Instagram, mm-hmm. apart from if you think too hard about the fact that Zach... I know that Braff- Zach was definitely the one to take the picture. Yeah, that's stressful to think about isn't it but I think Florence Pugh's got a very long interesting career ahead of her I'm sure mm-hmm. so I think that she this won't be the last time she'll get a nom no. um, on the directing front Martin Scorsese for um, The Irishman Todd Phillips for Joker Sam Mendes 1917 Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Bong Joon-ho for Parasite I think that Sam Mendes will get it for 1917 I um, do too I think the potential upset could be Bong Joon-ho it would be very good if they gave it there I think in an ideal world Bong Joon-ho would get it but it will probably be Sam Mendes. I think the whole it's one take isn't it a technical achievement, blah, blah, blah. I think that's what 1917 is running on at this point. Yeah. And Sam Mendes is a, is a good director. But so but, is Martin Scorsese. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think it's the best. So is Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I don't think it is the best directed film that I've no. seen this year. But No Greta, um, no Noah. No Greta, no Noah, no Lulu Wang, no That one Shambles. hurts, I think. If I think about it too much, it hurts my brain. Adapted screenplay, The Irishman, Steve Zalian, uh, Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waititi, Joker, Todd Phillips and Scott Silver, Little Women, Greta Gerwig, Two Popes, Anthony McGarten. Um, I think Greta will get this. Do you? Yeah. I think Greta will probably get it. If she doesn't, it will be The Irishman. But I hope Greta will get it. I think Greta will get it in the same way that you know when Get Out was nominated Mm -hmm. and Jordan Peele got screenplay Mm -hmm. but didn't get director. Yeah, Um, so you think it'll be in a similar vein? I think it'll be in a very similar vein. I think she deserves it. I think that hopefully going forward she will get nominated. I don't know, I know I have my extreme bias and you you do do too towards Greta, but I do think the direction of this film is just like masterful I watched I the, think so I watched the is it Vanity Fair where they do like the scene analysis mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. her and Laura Dern and yeah. Florence and Timmy mm-hmm. no Saoirse and Timmy sorry and just seeing her talk about the film and the things that she was doing in the film it just made me like extra sad that she's not nominated because I think that it's just one of the most I think it will probably films. be the only win for Little Women of I do too the awards. Yeah, completely. Um, on the original screenplay front, Ryan Johnson's nominated for Knives Out, Noah Baumbach for Marriage Story, um, Sam Mendes and, and Kirsty Wilson Cairns for 1917, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Bong Joon Ho and Jim Won Han for Parasite. I think Quentin will get this. I would like Noah to get it for Marriage Story. I wonder if Parasite will get it, maybe, but oh, interesting. probably probably will be Quentin. But I did wonder, well, I put as prediction either Quentin or Bong Joon-ho. I think it would be interesting. Again, Parasite haven't... I feel like they're going to win some things. I think it would be interesting if Ryan Johnson got it for Knives Out because it yeah. would be such a cherry on top of the... Do you think that's likely? ...wonderful ice cream. No, I don't think it is, but can you imagine if he got mm. it in such a nice, like, well done after mm. the absolute shit that he got for, for Last Jedi yeah, and Yeah, for Last that. Jedi. So, international feature, 
which is what best foreign film is now mm-hmm. called. Um, so Corpus Christi, by, directed by Jan Kamasa, Honeyland, um, directed by Tamara Kosteva and Lubjo Stefano, Le Miserable by um, oh God, Lajli, Pain and Glory, Pedro Amaldivar, and Parasite by Bong Joon Ho. I think Parasite's it'll be Parasite locked in for this, isn't it? There's not really much contesting for this. I think. I mean, I've not seen any of the others, so I can't really. I mean, I was initially surprised that there was no portrait of a lady on fire, but mm. then I read that France elected Les Mis instead yeah. of that. I think this is interesting actually because it is the category where the contributing countries do submit to it and I think mm. actually like British films can be in this category which I find slightly odd can you imagine if best international feature film went to a British no thank you we're fine. fine honestly we don't deserve it no and the last one I just want to draw attention to is cinematography so you've got um, Rodrigo Prieto for The Irishman Laurence Cher for Joker Jaron Blash for The Lighthouse Roger Deakins for 1917 and Robert Richardson for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I think it'll go to Deakins it will go to Deakins I'd like it to go to The Lighthouse it won't go to The Lighthouse it will go to 1917 I will say that regarding 1917 and awards that I feel like it is deserving is cinematography the one? cinematography is the one to be honest because I think that without Roger Deakins this film doesn't work I think that so much of what Roger Deakins does in his job and the work that he's done Mm -hmm. with Sam Mendes on this particular film I think that the construction of it the way that it's put together all of the praise that it's receiving like mm. 99% of that is because of what Deakins did on the um, mm-hmm. the, the DP front so I hope Deakins gets it he's just there's a very interesting episode of Big Picture where they talk about Roger Deakins work and you know the standout films and he's just worked on so many things that I've loved so good um, so I think it would be really good for him to get it but I do I'm in agreement with you that I think The Lighthouse would be nice to win but I think Deakins has got it so that's our little like, prediction thread prediction thread I mean we'll come back to this when the awards have happened bitterly disappointed it's just all a bit samey it is we have a lot of opinions on dresses yeah I don't know why I'm ever surprised though it's always very samey but I mean I'd like to wake up on I think it's almost it's not surprising it's almost a little bit surprising because there's been so much backlash in recent years that you'd think they'd get the fucking message nothing changes and it doesn't so it just reinforces it's just really frustrating that like yet again nothing's really changed in an ideal world i'd like to wake up where adam driver is an oscar winner sasha is an oscar winner but i just don't think it's gonna happen steph no i don't think it is too no one listens to us no but at least they'll be there in nice outfits um, and we'll have a lot of time talking about brad pitt's acceptance speech i'm sure can't wait so that's us obsession of the week thoughts i haven't put anyone that like I'm obsessing over sort of physically this um, week because the the kind of the same people, so I didn't want to be too samey. One thing I've thought about a lot this week that I think we've addressed before, but I was thinking about it the last couple of days based off a tweet that we saw, and we had this conversation this week actually that Leonardo DiCaprio would be an amazing guy if he stopped dating babies and also stopped having sex with earphones in and making women sign NDAs. I think about this at least twice a week. Such a charitable man. If you've not spent any time on the internet researching perhaps Leonardo DiCaprio's 
Um, sexual exploits. Sexual exploits and his preference for maybe wearing Beats headphones during intimate times. I suggest that you spend some time Many, doing it. many stories, all with very similar aspects, just a little bit different each time, which makes me think they're all very true. Do you think he, Camilla, lets him wear headphones? I would imagine so, that he just gets his way all the time. It's just slightly baffling and he should be, he should be better than that, really. Not... I'm not shaming what people do in their bedrooms. NDAs, though, are entirely unnecessary. Come I on now. I think it's when you think about what good he does do in the world, he I does find so it's so good. Like, with the Australian bushfires, you yeah. had, like, Jeff Bezos, like, donated, like, 600 grand, which is ridiculous. Everyone else is offering, like, between 500 and a mil, you know, blah, blah, blah. Leo DiCaprio is just, like, a sweet three mil or something. Like, he's so charitable. He saved someone's life over Christmas. Who, like, went overboard on a yacht. Yeah. Like, Saved a man from dying. Yeah. He gives so much money. He does so much environmental activism. What is wrong with you? It's weird, isn't it? You'd probably be like... Everyone would just think you're the fucking best if you just stopped doing this weird stuff. I just wish he'd date someone that's more age appropriate. Oh, they're getting younger and younger. And I'm not adverse to an age gap, but this is like such a strange age gap. A thing I just want to mention, actually, while we're talking about age gaps is regarding Florence Pugh and Zach Braff. I do not wish to labour the point, but a thing I worked out the other day is that Scrubs, when Scrubs first came out on television... She wasn't born, was she? She was like six. Uh... Isn't that weird? It is weird. He's it twice weird. her age. It's weird to me. It's please. I mean, stop. she could date anyone. Florence. There babe, are lots come of on. older men that are twice my age that I would quite like to date, but I am now thirty, so I think that's acceptable. But isn't she like six? I think she's, she's twenty-four. 20. Okay, I think and he's forty. I don't I think. think you can go below. 28 29 when you're in your 40s I just upwards. want I, I just don't think that's acceptable I just want better things for Florence Pugh I just yeah. want better for her I think she'll get there I think she's still in the age of like just dating gross people really I I'm think not really sure how else the to only thing it. I will say is that Zach Braff appears based on Instagram posts to have quite a nice house so I mean go off flow I mean she's on she's Oscar nominated she can buy her own nice house now she that's doesn't true. need it so that's your obsession she's got some weird daddy issues thinking about Leo yeah is mostly just, yeah, opinions on Leonardo DiCaprio. What's yours? That's Adam Driver. Yeah, I thought it would be. Deeply in a K-hole at the moment of Adam Driver content. That was my main takeaway, I think, from Rise of Skywalker, is just getting to pleasantly remind myself just how much I love Adam Driver. He's hosting Saturday Night Live this evening. Are you going to die? I think you're going to die. Well, it's his third time doing it, and he's just so good Oh, sorry, is it just like same old, same old? Same old, same old. Uh, No, I feel quite chill about it, really. (laughs) I just... I've I've enjoyed him during... Well, I enjoy him during awards season because he's so awkward. And he look, he does look good in a suit, but it's just like you can tell he doesn't really want to he be there. He doesn't want to be there. And doesn't really like receiving praise and does weird acceptance speeches when he does win. Um, I've also started rewatching Girls again, so there we go. It's nice to remember... What time to be alive, 2020, what, Girls. nice to remember, like, 2012 Adam Driver. When, Simpler times. When you would tell people that you think Adam Driver's hot, they would just like screw up their faces and go like Ugh. not not that way now is it though no no you've all come round now come round to it now late bloomers livid anyway um you can find us online twitter we're at the thirst soundcloud.com forward slash the thirst pod you can subscribe and review us on apple podcast by searching for the thirst instagram we're at the thirst pod our blog is the thirstpod.wordpress.com and you can find us on facebook by searching for the thirst pod uh bye bye <laughs> Thank you.
You are my favorite motherfucker. motherfucker. I told you. Didn't I? <laughs>